Today, I'm talking to Jeremy Stein, known as one of the top real estate professionals at Sotheby's International Realty. He is a co-founder of the Stein Team, which continually ranks within the top 1% of Sotheby's International Realty brokers nationwide and consistently sells over $100 million annually. Throughout his career, Jeremy and his team have been repeatedly recognized as the number one producing sales team for Sotheby's International Realty in New York, a top five sales team company-wide, and a top 75 team in the United States by the Wall Street Journal. They have been featured in publications such as the New York Times, Daily New York News, the Wall Street Journal, The Real Deal, The New York Post, and Avenue Magazine. Jeremy, only one of two agents in New York City, is a member of the Global Real Estate Partners Initiative, which is comprised of Sotheby's International Realty's finest professionals and every key market around the world. Currently spanning over 30 markets, this global partnership allows for unprecedented access to real estate resources worldwide. He and I talk about how to build your brand and the team that stands behind it. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. All right, everybody. It's the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. Today, we have Jeremy Stein who runs with his wife, Robin Stein, the Stein team out of New York City. Jeremy, good to see you today. Nice to see you. So thanks for coming on the show. We cross paths so often, but we haven't really had a good conversation lately, so this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, So where do we begin? You are in New York City, and we're... Atlanta, we're out going to the grocery store and going to work and doing things. And I don't even know too much yet about New York City other than I know you're in a challenging market and you guys aren't, I think everybody's social distancing, but I think it's a pretty, in a congested city, it's, what does it look like in New York City? You know, we're, um, it's not as bad as people think. I think it's not as bad as some of the media outlets make it out to be, you know, there's, uh, we don't have any indoor dining, but we have a lot of outdoor dining and people, you know, stores are open, people are social distancing, people are wearing masks. And um, I wouldn't, it's certainly not business as usual, but at the same time, uh, the city is really compared to what it was like over the summer and obviously in the spring, uh, you know, it's quite vibrant and uh, there's a lot of people back here. Kids are back in school for the most part. And uh, so we're, 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 we're soldiering on, we're moving forward. Sounds like a lot of cities, Atlanta's very similar right now. And out of curiosity, and I'm sure this also affects your real estate market, homeschool or so, I say homeschool, I, virtual. Personal, personally, my daughter is, is learning um, uh, from, from afar. She's doing uh, distant learning, but that was a, an option that our family chose. 
as but our our school is actually has an option to be in person as well some schools don't have an option and everyone's distanced and some schools don't have an option and you have to be in person so each school is a little different very similar to atlanta so good to get an idea now talking about real estate because we talked a little bit before you are a top i mean we're talking about you've been ranked number one with sotheby's international realty you've been recognized by the wall street journal as a top team top agent i think top 75 you guys are the real deal and it does sound like new york city is probably experiencing maybe one of the most challenging markets or how would you describe that market yeah i mean i think that there have been you know, there have been a number of very challenging markets while Robin and I have been in business, um, you know, dating back to 2001, you know, we, we obviously experienced September 11th and that was a, uh, a challenge to the city and a challenge to the real estate market. And, and there were some parallels there because a lot of people were scared and left the city right after that. Um, and then the next challenge I'd say was um, the Great Recession, 2008 and nine. Um, we didn't have as many people leaving the city necessarily, but we certainly had a very complicated real estate market, particularly given um, that there was a lending freeze, you know, so people just couldn't borrow money and people were terrified to buy real estate. And now we have now we have COVID nineteen. So we this is not our first rodeo when it comes to this kind of thing, and we've sort of been able to borrow bits and pieces of our experiences from those last two events in order to kind of help our clients navigate this one. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you guys have been through a lot of crazy markets here's another one in the market right now we've got places where like ty stockton is in vale they can't sell them fast enough i mean they can't they just they're selling so quickly yeah the inventory is low another yeah. second home markets in new york city what is that market looking like right now i mean you guys have probably taking is it taking longer to sell is the average sales price down or what does it really look like so Certainly the day one market is up. Um, you know, one thing that's important for people to keep in mind is that our market peaked in 2015, right? So we've actually been on a steady, uh, albeit slow, gradual decline since 15. And mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, so that's five years. And pre-COVID, I was prognosticating that we were getting close to the bottom of the market and that we were gonna soon see a rise. Uh, since March 1st, which is what we're sort of talking about is sort of the beginning of COVID and the city starting to shut down. It actually shut down, I think, on the 15th to the 16th uh, of March. But since I say March 1st, I think property on average is down another 10%. And, that, so and I, everybody, this is like mid-October, by the way. So we're looking mid-October. That's seven that months. Seven months ago. And that's still where we are, you know, so we're around 25% off of the peak of the market in 15. But of course, you know, every property is different. Uh, the most coveted properties are probably down less. Um, the less expensive apartments are down less. Um, you know, the, the, the COVID discount, as we call it, you know, on new development where buildings have been built and there's a lot of inventory sitting around, there's a much bigger discount than 10%. And on an apartment that's under $1 million, 
that's a resale, the discount's probably closer to 5% or so. Wow. So how would you, you know, we talked a little bit about it. This has been in New York city. It's been a challenging market. You've overcome a lot of challenging situations. What is it looking like for you guys now? And kind of give us a picture of that um, and how you got where you are now. Well, for us, um, one of the big things that was a surprise to us. Uh, so when we, when, when the city shut down, um, we immediately went into, this is going to be another recession situation. And what that meant during the recession for us was that we, we didn't sell anything for almost a year. Uh, I mean, maybe one or two little, I mean, almost nothing. So we were like, oh, wow, we, we may have to let people go. We're going to have to downsize and we're going to have to tighten our belts and really just sort of, you know, hunker down because uh, an experience, an event like this is going to call the herd of real estate brokers. So, you know, the strong are going to survive and those who just sort of got started or the people who sort of are, you know, half real estate brokers, half actors or whatever, those people are probably going to bail because it's just going to get too hard. And mm -hmm. you know, that's frankly what we did that during the recession and we came out much stronger. We went into the recession as a, as a relatively strong team and we came out as a very strong team. And so we looked at this experience thinking that was going to be the same. And what we didn't ex expect to have happen was that our business from a listing perspective exploded. So we went from a team that typically had somewhere in the 10 to 15 listing range, uh, you know, properties at one time for sale. And now we have 30 and we have another, I don't know, maybe five to 10 off market and or, you know, coming to market. Uh, so, so we got really busy. So instead of needing to downsize, suddenly we, everyone was just working, you know, twice as hard as they'd ever worked. Um, now, it doesn't mean that we're selling all that real estate. It means that we're just, we have a lot of clients that we're working with trying to help them navigate what's a very complicated uh, environment. And then we have a lot of buyers, people who are now starting to emerge, come to the city either from other cities or people who are living in, in New York and recognize that the numbers are down and it's time to try to take advantage of low interest rates and maybe upsize, um, you know, one of the things- And lower that, prices. What's There's that? So many markets like Atlanta, the interest rates are lower and the prices are much higher, but it's the market's still moving, but it's like in your market, everything's on sale. I want to ask you something about, you know, you, you guys are a top team um, and yet you're talking about, you usually carry 10 to 15 listings. When you think of a top team, you think of like 50 listings. How do you do that? I mean, that's really every, every dream realtor's career, whether they even know it or not, is carrying, listings are expensive. Right, right. Well, first of all, you know, our average sales price this year will go down. Um, but we in typically, our average sales price is somewhere between four and $5 million, right? And so mm -hmm. we're doing somewhere in the 100 to $150 million a year range on volume. So you can do the math on that, it's, you know, in terms of the number of sides that we're doing. Um, we're not, you know, we're not doing 
you know, a hundred transactions a year. We're, that's just not sort of the, the business that we're in. Um, that, and that is to some degree because of the, you know, the prices in New York and also just sort of the way our brand, our, our team's brand has worked. That said, um, you know, we don't turn, you know, we're not going to turn a client away just because they have an apartment that's asking or should ask less than 2 million or less than a million. If it's an interesting property, if it's an interesting client and we think it's going to still fit within our branding, we'll take it on. And we've been doing a lot more of that in the last seven months because we recognize that what's selling, what first started to sell and still what's selling the most are less expensive apartments. So we're, you know, we're not above anything. We're, we're willing to take on any property again, as long as we think it sort of fits in with sort of who we are as a team and kind of what our, our, our uh, branding is. So to take on, do you have a strategy or how do you, you know, first of all, do you aim to be a top team? And do you have a strategy to, to do that? And when you talk about the listings you take, this is a lot of questions in one, but how do you determine what business you take? Do you turn down? What is the model for success for you? That's kind of where, what I'm going at. Well, the, or I think everyone can relate to the idea that your time, you know, is money and it, you know, and that's the, and time is like the most valuable currency you have, right. You know, in order to be able to spend, to have a more uh, well-rounded life, which I wish I had more of to be able to spend time with your family and, and, and yeah. just have time to yourself. Um, so you have to think very carefully about, you know, who you choose to work with. And it's who you choose to have work on your team. It's who you choose to have uh, be your clients. And you know, we when we go on listing uh, presentations, um, we go into it with the with the assumption that we're going to want the job. And while we're being interviewed, we are definitely also interviewing them. They don't necessarily recognize that, but there have certainly been a number of instances where after meeting with a client and after seeing their home, we realize that that's just not the right fit for us. And maybe it's a personality uh, of the seller. Maybe it's a level of motivation of the seller. That's a big one these days. And sometimes it's just the property itself. Sometimes we just realize this is a property that we don't see being able to support uh, properly. And we'll be very honest with, this, with, the, with the client. We, we, we try not to hurt their feelings, but we'll be honest with them that we think they might be better suited with a different broker. Ultimately, you gotta pick properties that you think you can sell and that you can uh, really get behind. If you can't get behind it, then you're doing the client a disservice. So at what point in your career, has that always been how you did it? Or was there a point where it was like, I just gotta get a listing? And then that evolved. Yeah. I mean, certainly when you're starting out, um, you've got to take what you get, right? I mean, you can't just sort of put your name on the door and suddenly, you know, you're only going to take on the best in class listings. That, that, that doesn't work that way. Um, you know, I, I also, right, I had a funny start to my career because Rob and my wife and partner in business, uh, she had already been a real estate broker. So she was already doing it by herself. She was a solo flyer. So when I joined her um, in sort of, I was still, as I, we called it sort of in the closet I was in 2006. And then right before the recession, I kind of came out of the closet. Um, but uh, I was 
So I already joined an established broker. We already had a business. Um, so it was a little bit different, though our business was not what it is now. You know, we didn't have the number of listings. Certainly, we didn't have the sort of average sales price that we have now. And uh, so it's a little bit of a different story. But even when I started, you know, we, we would take on pretty much any listing um, that we could get our hands on. Um, and then, you know, as time progresses and you start to get a reputation, um, you know, you start to, and also you, you start to understand who you are as a broker. I think that's a real, really important for brokers to under, to have a real self-awareness of sort of what they represent, who they are, what they're good at, um, and what their brand is. I use that term a lot. I think it's really, really important that you are true to your brand and that will sort of separate you from other agents because there's a lot of agents running around and you got to figure out a way to make you, you stand, you stand out from the crowd. So when you guys make a decision on a listing, what is your brand and how did that get determined? And I say you, between you and Robin, obviously that's evolved again over time. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that we, we think a lot about it and, and we sat down uh, at a, we have an annual, retreat with our team and we sat down and we threw out all these words what were the words that everybody thought sort of represented our team and the three ultimately we sort of then voted on them all and uh sort of the three that came to our minds were you know first and foremost was sort of the highest level of standard and that's the highest level of standard in terms of how we uh help our clients so it's the level of service and it's the level it's the highest standard in terms of um, systems for our team and it's the highest level of standard for properties. The next one was integrity. Uh, you know, I think that we really pride ourselves on being ethical and haven't show integrity to everybody from our clients to our colleagues we don't look at our we don't look at the other real estate brokers as competition we look at them as our colleagues and we treat them that way and that really helps us uh it helps you know knowing that you're working with another broker as opposed to against another broker is very important i think a lot of agents miss that they think it's yeah. sort of them against everybody else and then finally um maybe it sounds a little soft but we think of ourselves as being very thoughtful um, and I mean that in sort of two ways, thoughtful in the sense that we try to be nice to people. We try to think about how we come across to people. And then also thoughtful, we give a lot of thought to everything that we do. You know, we don't just, you know, if I go into somebody's house for the first time, they go, uh, you know, thanks so much for coming. I've given you the tour. So what do you think it's worth? I'm not going to tell them. I'm, 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 I'm like, I got to go home and think about it. I can't. How do you answer that question? I mean, there's semi, it's like the worst peer pressure ever. I won't, I, I just say, just I, won't I, do it. we do not operate that way. I will not cavalierly throw a number at you, which I then, cause I can, you can never take it back. Right. Once that number's out, it's out. And if it's too low, they'll think poorly of you. If it's too high, they'll have this grandiose version of view of their home. Uh, so we always say, listen, we need a couple days and then we will give you a very thoughtful, very well laid out presentation that includes comparable properties and our, 
our editorial of what those what those properties say to us. And in the end, what we'll give you is, you know, what we think is the going to be the perceived value of your home, but we'll never do it right then and there. Cause we got to think about it. You know, it's very what is it about sellers? They just got to get a number and they, oh, we, we won't hold you to it. We won't hold you to that number. Just, just, we just want to know. Right. Right. Why is it so important to know? Right. I, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, look, it's, it's real estate is a very, people take real estate very, very personally. And when they, it's, when it's their home, uh, that's what they're waiting for. They're just waiting for that number. You know, I mean, we, when we do these valuations, we spend a lot of time doing them. And the irony is you probably could just send them a sentence that said, here's the number, right? And that's it. Yeah, and that's all they want. You don't even want to, you don't even want to know how we got to it. Um, yeah. That, obviously, because there are some clients who are very analytical and they want to make sure that you didn't just make it up. So, you know, we talked about taking client because this is a good little hot topic with some real estate at this pricing topic. Yep. You, a lot of sellers in every price point and every market just want to know the number and they want to hire you or not hire you on how that number made them feel. To get the number right takes a lot of time and effort. And often that number that's right is not the number that makes them feel good and want to hire you. How do you deal with that? So I think that we're at an advantage dealing with that because of our reputation and because of our experience in the market. So it's a little bit harder if, you know, when you're advising a younger agent who's just starting out, but I will start a discussion on value by saying, I'll even before I do the value, as I said, I'll go and meet with somebody. I'm not going to tell them what the value of their home is. But one of the things I will tell them is when you get this, I just want you to know, I am not going to tell you what I think you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what I think the truth is. And it's just my honest opinion because you are, you are not going to be well served by an agent who just tells you what they think you want to hear. And I'm really straightforward about that with them. And again, another thing is, and I think this is a good term to say to people, I'm not telling you what I think your apartment is worth. I am telling you what I think the people out there who are going to want to buy your property or the agents out there who are going to help those people, I'm telling you what I think they are going to perceive the value of your home to be. So that you're, you're, you're distancing yourself a little bit from it, right? Because I could say to them, look, I think your home's fabulous and I love it, but I don't think other people are going to think that. And so this is what they're going to think. And these are the reasons why they're going to think that. And you got to be honest with them and you got to tell them the price. And I will tell you that we have, we, you know, these days we don't lose a ton of, of presentations when we go in front of people. We typically, uh, you know, far more often than not are awarded the business. Um, every once in a while, someone will come back to us and say, we really like you. But, but somebody else came in with a much higher valuation, you know, will you, you know, and recently that actually happened and they said, well, you know, will you look at it again? And we said, sure, we'll look at it again. And, you know, we looked at it again and we said, you know, I can see why they came up with a higher number. We could, we, you know, I could see the higher end of the valuation going up a bit but the low end of our valuation isn't going to go anywhere because we always give them a range on sort of what, what it will sell on a good day versus a bad day. But we didn't get close to where this other person was. 
And, you know, in, in that case, they didn't go with us. Now, a lot of times people will go with us, even though we're the lowest people, you know, even though we may give the lowest valuation. Um, and those people typically, you know, I'd say more often than not, end up not selling their home. And, you know, sometimes maybe we become the second or the third broker because they're just, you know, they just haven't gotten realistic yet. What is the second wife, third broker? You got First it. love, second wife. I mean, like so cliche, everybody's heard it, but so... Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So you guys, what would you say is, well, I'm going to back up. I'm going to ask you kind of some questions just about you getting the business and ahas about it and go from there on some questions I want to ask, but like getting into this business, why did you do it in the beginning? Like why? Well, as I said, Robin was doing it already. I was a writer, a screenwriter. And um, when I, her business was starting to accelerate, she needed help. And I was in the union, writer's union, and my union was on strike. And they were on strike for quite some time. So I was in a position where I couldn't make any money. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just help Robin on, you know, sort of little things here and there. And pretty quickly, I realized that I, you know, I just got kind of hooked. Um, and I think what hooked me was, you know, I'm a born and bred New Yorker. I love the city. Um, and the idea of being able to sell pieces of New York was something that was really, really interesting to me. And going into different people's homes was really interesting to me. And I'm actually quite an extrovert in a lot of ways. I like dealing with different people, and different projects and juggling things. And I love the idea that we have 30 listings. There's a lot of different things going on and different negotiations and we're in different points at, at different parts of the deal. When I was a writer, uh, I would be sitting by myself just writing, you know, and you'd work on one project for like a year. Uh, and I realized that that wasn't really what I was sort of, that wasn't my chemical makeup. My chemical makeup is much more suited for being out with a lot of different people and having a lot of different conversations and making connections to people. Um, so I took to it really quickly. I really found it fascinating and fun and challenging. Um, so, you know, I, I, I love it. I love it. And on that, you know, cause I was going to say, and who, and going back to your who, you know, who are you now? I'm going backwards a little bit, everybody, and then we'll move back forward. But I did want to repeat this is you guys, you, your three things on your branding are high standards yep. with your service, your system, which is your clients, your systems with your people, your team members and the properties that you're representing, your integrity with your clients and your colleagues and your thoughtfulness, be kind, and hone in on the details. So I love that. And then you fast forward, then you go backwards to, you got into this really because you, your wife needs help and what are you gonna do when you're not writing? And then you get into this and you're like, oh, whoa, this is actually exactly, this is fulfilling. Right. So your why today, you went from to help out your wife and to get some money, who and why is that now? How's that changed? Well, you know, um, we, we grew, um, 
when I started with when I started in earnest, soon thereafter we were in the recession. Soon there, you know, it was right right around when when AIG and Lehman Brothers fell and the lending crisis came. Wow. And so I saw just a, a glimpse of the crazy market of 2007, and then we were in the doldrums. And uh, during that time, what we realized was in order to be in order for us to remain um, relevant and in order for us to sort of stay in the game, we had to be trying to provide our clients who, and we didn't have a huge client list. Um, we needed to add value to their, to their lives. Right. And everybody wanted to know what's my home worth, what's going on in the real estate market. So yeah. we, uh, we just read everything. I mean, we, I, I had a Google search that just said real estate. And so like every day I would be getting, you know, a gazillion articles that I would sift through, whether it was from, you know, some newspaper in Milwaukee or Iowa or New York or San Francisco, whatever it was. And, you know, a lot of them I didn't read and a lot of them that I thought had any relevance to anything I would read and maybe take a clipping of it and send it to one of my clients that I thought they might think it was interesting. We plugged in searches on every single ex-client that we had and every person that we knew on their property. So we would do essentially a search in our internal system so that the search would be programmed for, to essentially for somebody who would wanna buy their home. So now we have this search and every day we would get results of that search, a change, a, a property on the block has sold, a property on the block has just come on the market, a property on the block has just reduced its price. And then we would send it to our clients so that we were in, in real time, we were trying to keep them up to date with what was going on in the market. And what that did was it made us seem like, because we were, experts in the real estate market and experts specifically in the real estate market for our clients. So when the recession started to, un when, when the lending started to unfreeze, when people started to feel like it was safe to come out of their hiding places and actually start buying, we were the ones that they were calling. And, you know, that really changed our business uh, dramatically. I love what you just said, because so many agents in any stage of the career, they always talk about like, you got, I got to make my calls, or I've got a cold call. Or I met an agent the other day and he was talking about a team he was on. He was like, it was the greatest. Cause we got like a thousand, we were making like a thousand calls a month. And I thought it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they don't want to hear from you. But when you take the approach of again, and I guess everybody's different, but I thought that's a good way to keep my team members busy. But is, is it really lucrative? But back to your point is value add in knowing your market, studying it every day and plugging in those searches for your clients. You're not just letting them feed automatically to them. You're looking at it and thoughtful back to everything's at a higher standard. Everything's about integrity and everything's thoughtful for your team. You're thoughtfully with integrity at a high standard, sending them properties through the recession and in everything you do to take it to the next level. Yeah. So I really want to dive in with you on, well, I'm going to ask you, I'm getting to dealing with challenges. Before we do that, 
what is one of your biggest ahas in this business? I mean, you came in with kind of a closer but outside perspective of your wife being a very successful agent already. And then you kind of joined in, what's your stages of, you may have had, you may have a couple of stages of ahas from being married to a realtor to then being a part of a, the team and being a realtor. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think one aha is that you, and this is actually something that I got from a prior career and a, a teacher that I had in graduate school, but you people are who they are i don't i think trying to change your people trying to change who you are trying to change somebody else is a big mistake i think you need to know who you are and embrace who you are embrace what you're good at um you know robin is really organized and really good at thinking big picture about our team and thinking about systems she's all about systems and being um uh, consistent. I am uh, much more um, fly, I fly a little bit more by the seat of my pants. And so we actually make quite a good team from a business perspective. And so I think one of the ahas for me was that when we first joined as a business team, I mean, we, we've been married for 25 years. So we've known each you know, So we were married for a long time before, before we, we joined as business partners. Um, you know, obviously husband and wife working together can create challenges. And, but a big aha for me was coming to realize that there's not one right way to run your business, but what you need to do is sort of embrace what you're good at and embrace what Robin is good at. So for me, it was realizing I, I can't put all these systems in place. Robin wants to put these in place, but rather than trying to uh, push against them, I should be embracing them because they're, they're, they're fabulous. It's just, she needs to be the one to be able to think about them and come up with them because my head doesn't work that way. And so, and I think probably for her, she'd probably say a big aha was understanding, you know, you gotta sort of let me run a little bit more fast and loose because that, that's the way I can get, I can be most effective. So, uh, you know, I think that that was a big of sort of aha moment. I'm not sure it was a moment as much as it was, you know, a period of, uh, of time over which, you know, we kind of matured as a team together and developed. Yeah, I love that. It, it makes me, my husband, and I don't, technically work together. He has been a guest on the podcast. He was like episode 188 or 89. <laughs> but um, I finally let him on. But the same thing, I'm the big thinker. I'm big into systems, but I'm the big thinker, but also I'm a reactor. He's very planned and methodical. Right. And so when, when things get crazy, I like calm down and suddenly I can assess everything quickly and go, okay, here's the solution. Right. And back to you guys are very similar with different talents together, but you figure out how to make it work together. Yeah. So in the current market and in, you know, New York City, great, you've been through the 9-11, Great Recession, COVID. What has been the biggest lesson you've learned in facing these challenges? Because it seems every time you've faced it, you've come out better. I think it's, it is, it is a lesson that is not just specific to uh, crisis. 
it's about it's you have it's the key to success in this industry is you can never over communicate you can never communicate enough you have to be in touch with your clients uh you have to be not just i mean yeah i said earlier you know you want to be adding value but at the same time you also just need to make sure that you are in touch with them for good reasons and for no reason. You know, your clients need to know that you're there. They need to know that you're thinking about them. And the more you do that, the more you gain their trust. And ultimately that's what's most important. You know, you need to, you need your clients to trust you. A lot of the time, well, not a lot of the time, but every once in a while, when we're in a meeting with a new client, they'll say, well, why should I work with you? Or, or how, what, what bit of advice would you give me as I try and decide who to pick? Oh. As my agent. And I say, who do you, you know, who do you think you trust? Go with someone who you think has experience. Obviously we know we have experience, but you need to decide who are you going to, who do you, who do you trust? Who do you, because this is a big decision that you're making. Who's going to help you navigate this market and navigate the world of New York real estate or for, for in our, our, in our situation, we help our clients navigate markets all over the country. Right, we help our clients buy and sell in other parts of the of the U.S. Who are you going to trust to give you advice, and you really think it's going to be honest advice? That to me is most important, and the only way you earn that is by being in touch with them, talking with them, telling them what's going on, giving them bad news. You know, I I see a lot of brokers who, when they have bad news to give, try and avoid it. You know, they don't want to make that phone call. They don't, you know, maybe they put it in an email instead of a phone call. You know, that's a big mistake. You know, you, you know, I, no one likes giving bad news, but at the same time, if it's bad news that needs to be given, you got to give it. And um, I think if you give it in the right way, that ends up kind of helping you in the long run. So, you know, particularly in these times, we are in constant communication with our, with, with our, um, our clients, particularly sellers. You know, sellers want to know what's going on. They want to know what's happening, what's going on in the market, what's going on with their apartment, what are people saying about their apartment, what other apartments have sold, why, you know, why are they not selling? And you get, you just got to sort of suck it up and, and do it. You know, for us, that's why the last seven months have been the hardest seven months of our careers because we've had more listings than we've ever had before, which means we have more clients than we've ever had before. And more and conversations. More conversations all day long, all day long. And they are, you give them the good news, give them the bad news and give them no news. Yeah. I mean, you just want, you know, I mean, I just the other, you know, I'll, I'll reach out. I reached out to a client the other day just to say, you know, we haven't spoken in a little bit. Uh, this is not an active client. You know, how are things going? How's your house? How, you know, do you need anything? Um, you want to, you know, I think a good CRM is always a very helpful tool for people. Um, and, you know, that was, that's kind of a good example of what the aha moment, you know, Robin very early on was like, you need to use a CRM. And I was like, oh God, that just sounds like a pain in the neck. And right. uh, at the time, the CRMs weren't very good. So I tried one and, and it, I kind of just didn't use it because it was, it was just too much of a pain in the neck. But now the CRMs are, I think there are a few really good ones out there and uh, very, very helpful tools, you know, reminding you of the people that you haven't been in touch with for a while to make sure to reach out to them because inevitably I'll reach out to people, you know, every day I reach out to a certain number of my old ex clients and inevitably 
you know, every couple of weeks, one of those emails that I send out to somebody will be get, I'll get a response. You know, it's really funny that you reached out to me. I was just with a friend of mine who's thinking about buying an apartment in New York City. Would you mind if I put you in touch with them? And had I not sent that out, they might have forgotten. Yeah. You know? So you want to make sure that you're sort of top of mind with everybody. Um, we also do a newsletter that Robin puts together once a month, um, which goes out to everybody. And that's a good way for people to sort of remember you. Though, you gotta, though you've got to remember that your newsletter better say something. You know, if it's just, you know, sort of generic and has no ad value, then people just unsubscribe and delete it immediately. What do you find people, what do you find people want to read and what do you put in your newsletter? What does Robin put in your newsletter? So what happens is she and I together will write the opening par- the opening piece, which is often, you know, boots on the ground. This is what we're seeing, right? Markets up, markets down. We, you know, we've just put into contract these properties that, you know, much more selling in the low end, but the ultra high end is actually moving, whatever it is something that people read and they go, okay, they didn't just clip this out of a news article and they didn't just get this from Sotheby's, right? They like, they're saying this because they're out, they have 30 listings and they have 30 buyers. So, you know, something that feels authentic, right? And then beyond that, it used to be, we had a little bit more fluff. And I think Robin and I both came to feel like that was, while it was interesting to some people like, you know, I don't know, trends on color choices or paint colors or what have you, we sort of got rid of that. And now we really just kind of dial down on, you know, gives people some statistics, give people, you know, maybe the most colorful thing we're going to do is have an interview with a mortgage broker. And they're going to tell you about what's going on with interest rates. And they're going to tell you about what they think, you know, where rates are going. So it's all about, adding value to your clients and letting them feel like they can read that that thing. And at the end of it, they have a sense of what's going on in the market. Um, And we get a lot of, you know, Robin particularly uh, because she's doing it gets a ton of uh, compliments on it. And people who say, you know, I look forward to it every month. You know, I really look forward to reading it because I'm interested and I feel like you're being honest. That's that's a big part. You know, we, we're, we're not afraid. The worst newsletters are the ones that feel like they came from the Chamber of Commerce of New York City. Where or they're templated or they look like everybody else's. It's or rosy and, you know, oh, the market's so fabulous, you know. When it's not. It's not. And, you know, don't, don't, don't try and sugarcoat it. Like, tell people, like, if you tell people the market's tough right now and it's not a good time to sell, that's, that, you, you get a lot of, you know, people believe you. And then, and then you'll get the people who don't care if it's not a good time to sell because right. they're going to sell. People have to sell, you know, and I'm the first person to tell somebody, you know, listen, if you have to sell, we're, we're, we would love to work with you. But you just have to understand if I had to pick a time to sell, it would not be now. Yeah. So something you said before, too, about trust and being honest is, you know, you, you guys have an average sales price of between four, four and, and five. five million. Yeah. Um, I think there's like this consensus in our market of scripting. And I say this a lot, but I really want to visit it again with you. There's this scripting. How do you win the business? And I always say, no, 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 no. People of high net worth value, getting the business, the kind of business that you get, your focus is going to be, they, your clients need to know that they're being heard and that they can trust you. 
Any other advice on that question to ask? What are the right questions to ask? What's the frame of mind to be in that you're doing and delivering business in that way and not the opposite? Well, I, I think what, can you ask that question a different way? I'm not entirely clear on it. Sorry. So no, that's okay. So what I'm asking you is basically when you are dealing with clients, yeah, clients, I think there's a consensus in the, for real estate agents. Most of the people out there are talking about how to script people, how to get them to work with you. Right. Clients really need to be heard and to trust you. Right. What's your approach to ensure or your mindset so, and advice to stay in that and know that that works? So for me, and look, it, well, first of all, we have three salespeople who work with us. And when we're training them, we have, I mean, even when we're not training, always, we, we have each one of them watch me show a house. We have each one of them, I watch them show a house or an apartment. And then we talk about it, you know, what, the, what I would do differently, what they should do differently. Um, but with that said, what I say to them is, listen, you shouldn't do exactly what I do because what I do is m my personality and you need to find who you are and how you show a home best or how you work with a buyer best. I can tell you certain things that you should avoid doing, but at the same time, um, you have to be comfortable and you have to be confident. And if you're only following a quote unquote script, then you're not comfortable and you're, you can't be confident. You can't be trusted if it feels like it's a script. I, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, I've got, uh, we have a couple of sellers who have cameras in their homes and they from time to time want to watch us show the apartment. And then I'll get notes from them later, right? Like, you know, we saw you didn't show the garbage room. You know, we think the garbage room is great. You really should show the garbage room. And I say, listen, you got to trust me on something. I'll show the garbage room to the people who I think need to see the garbage room. But not every person who comes in to see your home wants the same tour. In fact, every single time someone comes into this home, I'm going to immediately try to figure out what kind of a person they are and what do they want. If they're giving me certain body language that says back off, I don't want to hear about all of the storage then I'm going to back off and I'll just let them walk around and I'll sort of trail them. And if they have a question about something, I'll answer it. Then there's other people who are like, okay, I'm in, tell me everything. And then you talk at them and you show They're them. They're going the to hear about the garbage room. They get to right. see the garbage room, but don't go into it with this preconceived notion that every, everyone wants the same tour. You've got to be comfortable and confident about it. And so again, when you're working with buyers or you're trying to pick up clients, you've got to understand what are you going to be best at? How are you going to come off as trustworthy and honest and a person that they want to be with? You know, for me, I like to try to make connections with people. When I'll go into somebody's house, I'm looking at their house. I'm also looking around at their stuff. And I'm like, oh, he went to college there. I Maybe there's a name game. Or I see that they have a photograph from Martha's Vineyard. I have a house in Martha's Vineyard. And I bring it up. Oh, I see you go to Martha's Vineyard. What do you right. do? Where's your house? Do you, you spend time in the summer? And start talking about it. And then they're like, oh, this guy's a real person. He's not just sort of, sort of talking, you know, puppet that's going to sort of give me this script about his, uh, the home. 
you want to make a connection to every single person. And I think that really helps you win business because people are like, okay, I get it. This is a real person. They, they have yeah. a house somewhere else and they have a house like us, or they know somebody that we know, or they, you know, whatever it is you want, making connections to people is so important, whether it's your client, whether it's your client or the other client. Sometimes when we're showing a home, I'll get a sense from somebody about something. I'm like, I just start saying something that brings them out of the mode of looking at the home to sort of feel like they can trust me. And I think that that's really, really important. Great advice. All right, we're going to do the final three questions. Uh-oh, okay. I never send these to any of the guests because it, would, it right. wouldn't be, ne- the answers aren't nearly as good if I do. Number one, what have you found your best resource in being a real estate agent and your for your team is? It could be technology, a CRM, a way of doing business, a way of communicating, an event you hold, anything. What is your best resource? Whoa. Um, I think... Our best resource well as an actual resource right rather than sort of a skill set I think that um, I think probably our newsletter I mean I'm, I'm sure after this call I'll, I'll think of something else but I think that the newsletter is a great, great resource because it allows us to put a lot of different things that we represent and represent us well into one concise document that everybody gets. You know, it's speaking honestly about the market. It's us presenting ourselves in a very uh, sort of professional way. We feature... It's, it's branding. It features our market leader partners all over the country so that we, it shows that we have, we think about real estate on a global level. We're not just thinking about real estate in this. We're not just selling your house. We can represent your portfolio. Yeah. And we're, and we're just thinking about it, right? We're, we're, we're constantly thinking about real estate. Um, And it's also one of the very few things that Robin and I kind of collaborate on. She does more of it than I do, but at the same time, we're both there in it. And so people see that we're a team. They see we're not a very big team. Um, and I think all of that kind of speaks to our brand. Oh, you know, what I hear in that too, being very similar and being the problem solving, juggling person is that it gives you a source of consistency, branding on the inside and outside of your team and collaboration with one another on your team and with your clients. But consistency and proactive yep. is the biggest, I think. I mean, that's the message I'm hearing in that. Um, number two, if there is a book that you would recommend that's life-changing, career-changing, and or both, what is it? Mm-hmm. You just have to read. You've got to read it. And if it ends up being a novel, that's just fine. I, boy, I, I you know, I'm not, I've got like three books on my nightstand right now and I'm reading them all simultaneously over the course of the last seven months. Like I'm the slowest reader on the planet because I am so focused on work things that I rarely carve time out. So like I've got a friend who just wrote a novel and I'm reading that I'm reading Chris Voss's never split the difference. Best ever. Right. which is super cool. Um, and, uh, and then I've 
I'm, I'm reading a complete, just like, you know, summer beach book that I won't even name. Um, cause it'll be embarrassing, but, um, I don't oh, now have, you've done it. Now you've done it. <laughs> well, I am pilgrim. Everybody's going to be messaging me, asking me what this book was. <laughs> I am pilgrim. It's great. It's, it's a, it's a cool, it's cool. Um, but, uh, I don't think that, I don't know that there's one book that I've read where I was like, Oh wow, this has completely changed my life. I was an English major in college. So I certainly read a lot of books and it was mostly novels. And, you know, I have a lot of ones that I, um, love but at the same time i also have an eight-year-old so principally what i'm reading is like uh you know stinky pants and uh you know whatever things things like the the mystery at the museum <laughs> i love it okay so career-wise chris voss you just haven't finished it never split the difference it's great but that's that's the business book i think yeah that's and a there's a summer novel and there's a few other Stinky pants or something. Yeah, well, that there's. We got to make sure Rokon gets all of these. What's that? Rokon, our editor. We've got to make sure oh. he gets all of these. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The well, show notes. My daughter is reading voraciously, so she's just going through like, you know, Amelia Bedelia, and then there's these whole thing about there's this whole series about these mysteries at museums that she's pretty into right now. Um, and then there's another one I'm forgetting about. It's not called Stinky Pants, but it's something like that. Um, but all right. So do you have any takeaways from any of these books for business before I ask you your final question? Cause I, I watching the time to see. I, well, I'll tell you, I do, one, of, one of the takeaways I have from Voss, um, which is that you, you know, I think that the concept of when you go into a negotiation, um, I think it's really important that you don't take the easy route you know i i don't approach negotiations as in, in as an antagonistic experience right i go into it saying to the other broker let's let's try and work together on this right Let, let's you know we're, we're we ultimately want to get to a place where our my client and your client agree so let's not go into it from an antagonistic perspective and at the same time in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, let's, I'm not going to just take the easy route either, because ultimately what my job is, is to get the best for my client. So, you know, the concept of splitting the difference is often sort of the easy way out. And so don't go into it that way. Don't think that you're just going to sort of take a path that's super easy. You know, you got to really constantly be rethinking how are you going to approach a negotiation and maybe you need to zig when they zag. Um, but you know, each negotiation is different and there's, it's always about personalities and people and people on the other end of the phone. Um, uh, it's why like these television shows, the, uh, million dollar listings are just so awful because like you watch the negotiations on those things. You're like, that's not how yeah. it works. <laughs> right? Nobody not does a reality. It. Right. Not a reality. Well, every negotiation is a process of exploring every negotiation you'd come from a place of curiosity to bring out the result there are things that you could bring out that you never would have known the biggest thing is well the thing i'm hearing you say i think is a message to make sure everybody hears is in the book a lot of people you hear is negotiations are not about emotion you have to take the emotion out of it and look at the moving parts and what you just said was exactly what chris voss says is how do you take the emotion out of a negotiation when the emotion's the problem in the first place you right. have to go right at it. 
and see it and address it and deal with it and diffuse yeah. it. And you know, uh, for me, one of the things that I think helps me with negotiations and it helps me just in business in general is I think I'm a pretty good judge of character and judge of what I can read people relatively quickly, like the people that want to see the garbage room versus the people that don't. And you do have to figure that out when you're negotiating with people. And you also want to talk to your colleague, your, 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 your contemporary, the broker on the other side of the deal and say, tell me about your client. Like what kind of a person is your client? Are they a person that wants to go back 10 times back and forth? Are they a person that needs to win? What is it, right? Because mm -hmm. if you know that they need to win, you need to, on, before step one, figure out a way to get where you want to go and make them feel like they won. And then there's some people who don't need to win. You know, maybe your client needs to win. And then you've got to figure that out. But you need to understand what you're, what, what's going to make everybody at the end of the day feel good about the negotiation. Exactly. Great advice. Last question. If there's one thing, we're just going to forget everything else we talked about today. What's the one thing we should remember? Um, be honest and be kind. I think that Thank that's you. key. I think you gotta, you know, you, you want people to think of you as a, you know, kind and honest person. And I think everything else sort of falls into place when you do that. Um, you know, you want your, we do that a lot in New York. We, we you know, we, we've, Focus. We, we, a group of us have gotten together and tried to create an organization for brokers who we think are ethical and good people and work together. We want people to trust us and it's helped, helped me and my clients tremendously because they, other brokers trust me and, and I trust them and I know who to trust and, and that helps in so many ways get ultimately to achieve the goals of our clients. Wow, that is great advice, especially from a New Yorker, a lifelong New Yorker. No, I don't, I don't even have much of an accent. Be honest and be kind. <laughs> and how did that happen? Well, I'm going to move to the Midwest at some point, and then I'm going to be, I'm going to be even kinder and nicer. <laughs> I love it, exactly. But then, but then, I mean, like in New York, you just get to shine. So. Right, right. Well, we're all not, it, we're, we're, it's, you know, the stereotypes aren't, aren't always exactly what they seem to be. I would agree. My, my best friends in college were always from New York and I'm from not Atlanta, but South, like as Southern as they come, South Georgia. Right. Oh, so, wow. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for an awesome interview, Jeremy. It's great. Thanks, to have you. Jerry. It was great talking with you. It was a lot of fun.